There's a philosopher um, who, who has a quote. It says, first, I saw the river as the river and the mountain as a mountain. But then later in my life, I got to the point where the river was no longer a river and, and I saw the mountain as no longer a mountain. But then, but now I see clearly. And again, I see the river as a river and the mountain as a mountain. From an early age, we're all taught a certain worldview. We're taught the way things work. We're taught what to believe. We're given explanations for things. This is the river and the mountain. We're taught the meaning of God, of family, of life. Uh, we're taught what to do, how to behave. We're taught this is how boys act, this is how girls act, this is what to wear, this is what to say. But eventually something happens, and the worldview we had doesn't work anymore. For me, I grew up in a wealthy Minnesotan suburb, and this kind of became my, my normal, right? Like, everyone had enough. Everyone lived in a house, some big, some small. Most, most of my friends got cars when they turned 16. This was kind of normal life to me. But when I was 18, I moved to Chicago and encountered a lot more diversity, new ways of living. People lived much closer to one another. There were always people walking around. I began to see that there were other ways to live, other ways to do life. But also that year I went on a, on a trip to Zambia and, and I remember multiple times there thinking, wow, these, the people of Zambia, who relatively speaking have nothing, are, are a lot happier than I am and, and seem a lot closer to God than I am. And it was a moment of coming to the realization that, that my worldview was incomplete. That the ways I thought about money and God and community, they didn't fit with this new experience I had. And the river was no longer a river, and the mountain was no longer a mountain. Also, growing up, my family was very dedicated to going to church. We were there every Wednesday, every Sunday, and generally things worked out for us. We had a really, really peaceful childhood. We, we, got, we had a comfortable life. And, and I think this was taught rather implicitly that, that the reason things are working out for us is because we go to church, because we follow Jesus, and because we do that, things are, are working out. Like, um... Like, we're good Christians, we believe in God, and these teachings have led us to a good life. And I know that there are people who, who were poor and people who were suffering, but kind of just had this idea that, oh, if you believe in Jesus, things will work out for you. If you get your spiritual life right, the rest will follow. And it's kind of like a neat equation, right? Like, you just follow Jesus, and then everything works out for you. But then, then things, things happen. Uh, for me, it was my, my parents, they got divorced, and, and the worldview I had didn't work anymore. It's like, we, these were the two people who this wasn't supposed to happen to. They did everything right. I was forced to confront the fact that this wasn't such a simple equation, that God didn't work in the simple, you follow this rule and this will work out for you. And the river wasn't a river anymore, and the mountain was not a mountain. We all have moments where the boxes we've built get shattered. It could be a tragedy. It could be someone dying that you were close to. It could be traveling to a new place. It could be meeting a new person. It could be reading a new book. It could even be a new technology that's introduced in your life or in the world. This is the, the second week in a series called, about facing change. And we're focusing on a few passages from the Gospel of Matthew. 
Last week, we talked about how Matthew was written to these Jewish Christians in the city of Antioch uh, late in the first century who fled there after their temple was destroyed and lots of their religious authorities um, were killed by the Romans. And for, the, for, the early, uh, for these ancient Jewish people and for the early Christians, still the temple was one of the most important things. It was a sacred location that was the center of religious, political, and, and their finances. Like everything was about the temple. The temple um, was central to even life itself. But now that the temple had been destroyed and the people fled to a new, a new city, they're wondering, what do we do now? I mean, even the Jewish Christians had still worshipped in this temple, so they were included. What, what, was this the end? Is God done with us? How, how do we move forward in this new time, in this new place? Matthew was written to these people and he emphasizes certain aspects of Jesus' life as a way to teach these people what to do in this, the middle of this massive, horrible, tragic event that came and shook everything up for these people. Before these, these ancient Jewish Christians or, or Messianic Jews, the, the, after the temple was destroyed, the river wasn't a river anymore and the mountain wasn't a mountain. And so whenever this happens, whenever your world is turned upside down, there's really the temptation to fall into despair, to resignation, or denial. Like in the face of your, your boxes being shattered, what do you do? Do you try to distract yourself? Do you focus a lot on work? Do, do you have addictions? Do you just watch uh, seasons on Netflix all day? Do you find ways to escape? Or do you deal with your problems, deal with what's going on? See, in the moments when the river stops being a river, where the thing you thought you knew, you realize you don't really know, do you withdraw? Do you ignore this? Or, or, or do you lean into it? The passage for this evening I just read is John the Baptist, I think, doing what he does best, right? He's baptizing people. Uh, that was a joke. That's so funny. John the Baptist thought that. Like, John, okay, whatever. <laughs> Baptism, it's not the same baptism that the early Christians practiced, it was, uh, but it was somewhat similar. It was this public declaration of repentance and renewal, uh, of people making the decision to, to live a new life. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they come to see where John was baptizing. They say, just to check it out, not, not to get baptized, just to see what's going on, and John gets very angry at them. He calls them a brood of vipers, and he tells them to, to bear fruit. And he's saying, basically, like, change, repent, live a different life life than the one you're living. The Pharisees and Sadducees were the old religious authorities. So they kind of represent the law or the temple, kind of the old way of doing things. But then after the Pharisees, Jesus comes and asks to be baptized. John says, no, it's you who should baptize me, but still Jesus asks to be baptized. But then Jesus gets baptized, and as he comes out of the water, the heavens opened, the Spirit of God descends upon him like a dove, and a voice from heaven says, this is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. He threw this story through Jesus, the Son of God, getting baptized, which kind of seems like a strange thing, right? Son of God, you think he'd be good already, but, but, but we see the importance of change and growth and of making decisions to, to turn your life around, to live a new life. The story provides an acknowledgement that we all will face change and we're really kind of given this choice of how to face it, how to move forward. The passage starts with the Pharisees, with, and John calls them a brood of vipers. 
for these Jewish Christians, that the Pharisees would be what's kind of holding these people back for living their new life. The thing that's calling them back to the way things used to be. Whenever we are faced with any change, whenever something happens to us that challenges what we used to know, or whether it's the moment we, we take a step and make this change intentionally, um, in both cases, um, we have these voices within us holding us back. These internal voices of the Pharisees trying to convince us not to go on. We have voices telling us, you're not good enough, telling us we'll never be able to make it. And like the Pharisees who John calls vipers, these voices can poison us with some sort of silent venom that keeps us from acting, that keeps us from going forward into the new life that God is calling for us. And this is where Jesus comes in. Um, Jesus' baptism narrative is contrasted with these Pharisees coming and, and watching John baptize people. Jesus comes and he gets baptized by John, and I think this really shows Jesus as an example, a model for living our lives, that, that we should seek to live our lives like Jesus lives his life. And in this case, we see that Jesus, even though he didn't do anything that needed repentance, he still gets baptized and shows the importance of, of renewal and, and correction and, and purposefully directing your life. And that this change is something that should be welcomed by all people. In this story, we have the Pharisees avoiding baptism, not wanting to move forward, holding on to their old stories, their old traditions. And then we have Jesus, the Son of God, humbling himself and getting baptized. Repentance or change or correction are often the things that, that you wish you didn't have to do, right? Repentance sounds like the things your parents made you do growing up when you were a kid. Um, we get the feeling of, like, who are you to tell me what to do? But yet, here in this story, we see Jesus choosing to do that. He didn't have his dad there saying, you better do this. No, he, he's just choosing to do it. And after this baptism, Jesus started his ministry where he's preaching the kingdom of God. And, and in making this change, in, in this repentance, this choosing uh, to do the work of God, uh, his worldview had to be turned upside down. The things he thought he knew probably weren't so clear in his baptism, he was welcoming this new thing that would lead to crowds and conflict and even his own death. But Jesus shows us not to be afraid in the face of change. He says, don't listen to those inner voices that may be holding you back, but be open to the new thing that God is doing. And after Jesus is baptized, we have maybe the most important part, where the heavens open, the Spirit of God descends upon Jesus like a dove, and a voice from heaven says, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Let's first talk about the dove. The dove, for any good Jewish person, comes from the book of Genesis and the, the story of Noah. This is when God floods the earth and Noah gets all the animals and his family and they go on an ark for 40 days and 40 nights. And the 40 days and 40 nights is over and Noah sends out a raven to go see what's out there. And the raven comes back and doesn't do anything. I'm not really sure why the raven's there. So then, then Noah sends out a dove. And the dove goes out and doesn't do anything but still comes back. Then seven days later, Noah sends out the dove again. Dove comes back, this time holding an olive leaf. I don't know what shape that is. I'm just, I guess, I don't know, an olive leaf. And that's to show that... Um, that the waters were receding, that, that maybe new life is springing up from the ground, that, that hope is coming. Seven days after that, Noah sends out the dove again, and the dove never comes back. 
And I'm pretty certain we're led to believe that this meant that the dove found a new home on a new land, not that the dove just got so tired from flying and just, just don't think about the poor dove. No, I think the dove's okay. Um, but, but it's this hope that the waters receded and it's a symbol of new creation. The dove is a symbol of this new creation of God restoring the earth. It was a symbol for Noah in this time. Uh, Noah in this time where, for him, the river stopped being a river and the mountain stopped being a mountain. Literally, as the mountain was covered with water and the rivers overflowed, but the dove was a symbol of God's presence in the new creation uh, that now existed in the midst of everything being kind of thrown up in the air. And now back to the baptism story. We have a dove on Jesus. And this can be in a similar way, showing that Jesus is God's presence and a new hope and a new creation. Showing us that Jesus is God revealed to us. And now think for a minute, if you're a, a first century Christian, Jewish Christian, who, who is maybe reading this story or telling the story to their friends. I'd imagine these people, they, they were refugees who had just been scattered from their home, away from their temple. Uh, they didn't have very much. I'd imagine them sitting around the fire telling these stories of Jesus, these memories they had, uh, these traditions they had, telling them to one another as a way to comfort each other and and bring each other hope in the midst of tragedy. And so if you're a first century Jewish Christian whose temple had just been destroyed and you have no idea what will happen next, because you grew up with this temple and, and you were taught all about it, Right? The river was a river, the mountain was a mountain. But then Rome comes in and destroys everything and you have to run away to a new place and the river isn't a river anymore and the mountain isn't no longer a mountain. But then you have the story. You have Jesus, who you know to be the Messiah, and in this story Jesus affirms that change is okay and it's a part of something and it's something to be celebrated. And then you have this dove descending upon him as the image of God's presence in Jesus, the same image that provided hope for Noah thousands and thousands of years ago, here providing hope for everyone through Jesus. That somehow who Jesus was and what Jesus offered was a new creation in a similar way to the one that Noah experienced. And for these Jewish Christians sitting around their fire, you have this image of God's presence in Jesus Christ in a, in a person. And you know from other stories, maybe other writings, that that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation, that that we have direct access to God through Jesus, that there is hope. And so you would have gone on on this journey, right? Growing up with this temple that was the center of life, where God's presence is literally housed, and the temple's destroyed, The thing you thought you knew, it doesn't work anymore. The river's not a river anymore. The mountain's not a mountain. But then you have Jesus coming, getting baptized, and the Spirit of God descending upon him like a dove. And you see that you thought God's presence was in this temple, but now it's found in Jesus. And as you realize this, as you wake up to this new reality, again the river becomes a river, and again you see that the mountain is a mountain. In some ways, the river and the mountain are different now. God's presence is seen through people and through interaction with each other rather than in one place. But in other ways, the river and the mountain have been there the entire time. And after the dove, a voice from heaven comes and says, This is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Again, if you're an ancient Jewish Christian sitting around the fire telling this story to your friends, your friends who are scared, who don't know what will happen next, the story ends with incredible good news. 
That after the baptism, that after of this, this public declaration, after this change and renewal, you have a voice from heaven calling you beloved. That through the fear, through the change, through your journeys, God is there calling you beloved. That as you face the burden of change, as you face the fears of self-correction, of the anxiety that comes when something new happens that you weren't prepared for, the love of God awakens within you and you'll come to know that you are beloved. Throughout life, we'll face lots of changes. These moments that change everything, they can't be avoided. And what's most important is how you face them, not, not trying to not, not have these changes happen. And if you pay attention, eventually you will see through the end of, of whatever it is you're going through that, that again, the river is a river and the mountain is a mountain. You'll come to the realization that whatever, um, whatever this new thing you learned was actually, in a way, it was there the whole time. This is part of the process of growing, of changing, and it's not something to be feared or run away from. The same journey that the early Christians were on through Jesus is the same one that we're on now. They came up to a point where they lost everything they knew, but then are given this hope that, that Jesus is God's presence and it's still here within them. It shows that these changes are normal, they're to be embraced. It's important not to run away from these changes. See, see for, for example, um, for me, for, for other people I, I know, um, like some of these words that, that maybe you've grown up with or some of these ideas you've grown up with, like say, say Bible, for example, the word Bible, right? Maybe you grew up hearing, the Bible is the word of God. It was written by God. It was treated maybe as this divine book that fell from the sky one day. And then and it's the word of God and it has power and it's, it's the best thing ever. And maybe you heard it was inerrant or infallible and all these churchy words about it, right? But then maybe you, you read it a bunch. Maybe you meet someone. Maybe you take a class. And they ask, you find some questions. Maybe someone asks you, why are there two creation stories at the beginning of Genesis? And why do they tell the creation story in a different order? Or, or why does God tell people in one book to go kill the entire village, including women and children? And in another book, he, he forgives them and gives, gives the city a second chance. Or in one gospel, Jesus says he comes to bring a sword and not peace. But in another gospel, he said he comes to bring peace. And as you ask these questions, as you dig into these questions, the mountain stops being a mountain and the river stops being a river. And you see that what you thought about the Bible can't be the whole story. And it's at this point, it's the most important point, because this is where the change starts and where you're presented with a new idea. And this is where lots of people, people that I've known, have said, well, that's it. I was taught wrongly about the Bible. The Bible's not worth it. Let's just throw it out. It's not useless. It's not useful for my life. This church that we've been taught, it's, there's some things wrong with it, so I'm just not going to have anything to do with this church anymore. But if you don't do that, if, if you stick with it, if you lean into the change and the doubts and the questioning, then maybe you'll come to realize that maybe the Bible is actually a very human book that contains people growing and becoming more aware of God's presence. Like, for example, in the beginning of the Bible, the rule in the Ten Commandments says, do not murder. Like, right? Like, just stop killing people. Let's start there. Don't kill each other. But then, near the end of the Bible, Jesus says, there is no greater love than this than to lay down your life 
for your sisters and your brothers. It starts off, don't kill each other, and then it gets to this place, can you actually lay down your own life for other people? And if you stick with it, you'll find that the Bible is full of these things, full of think, God pulling people forward, and you'll see that these deep truths have endured and been shared and passed down, and you'll see the difference that it makes in people's lives. You'll see maybe someone, based on the words in this really old book, actually being willing to lay down their lives for someone else, and you can't help but come to the conclusion that how could this be anything else but the Word of God? And you went through this journey of the river being a river, the mountain being a mountain. Then you realize the river isn't a river anymore, and the mountain isn't a mountain, but then as you stick with it, you're again able to see that the river's a river, and the mountain is a a mountain. And the great hope that is through this all, through the changes, through the tragedies, through the new ideas, through the people, through, the, through everything that turns your world upside down, that, that God is right there saying this is good, this is normal, and, and calling you beloved. Amen.